The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five. Futures pointing to a slight Tuesday turnaround after stocks got smacked once again. Around the world, Europe's energy crisis remains front and center as prices stick around all-time highs. We'll speak with Goldman Sachs' Jeff Curry on his outlook and why he says it may be a golden opportunity for you. Sticking with Europe, businesses in the UK and across the continent bracing for an ongoing surge in power costs with many asking whether they can afford to simply keep the lights on another month. Shares of Bed Bath & Beyond surging. Investors preparing to hear the retailer's strategic plan. Later on, it is your morning RBI and a closer look at the market's rough year, but... Some little talked about winning stocks that may be under your radar. It is Tuesday, August 30th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us on this busy Tuesday. And let's kick off the morning with U.S. stock futures because they are looking a lot better than they did at this time yesterday. They are higher across the board. In fact, a nice 1% plus jump. For the Nasdaq right now, of course, all this coming after another down day on Monday. In the bond market, we saw bonds get bought a little bit. In fact, yields have come a little bit down. The 10-year yield is at 3.06%. Everybody seems to be watching the shorter end. The two-year, that is at 3.41%. In oil, this morning crude is creeping closer to 100 per barrel once again. It is just over 90, well, 96.71. It was 97 a few moments ago. Oil has been on the rise since we reported last week that it is possible OPEC could cut production at or even before its September 5th meeting. That came after our phone conversation with Saudi Energy Minister Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman. And now there is also growing risk that Iraq, the world's fourth largest oil producer, could have problems as its government struggles to stay together. The AP reporting late yesterday that at least 15 people were killed in Baghdad as hundreds stormed the government palace after an influential cleric decided to leave politics. Any slow inflow from Iraq can send oil prices back up, and maybe in a big way. We'll talk more about that with Goldman's Jeff Curry in a couple of minutes. Speaking of soaring, let's also talk about uranium. Yeah, the nuclear fuel. It has been red hot lately. Nuclear finally getting more attention in markets. Russia, of course, a major uranium producer. And the Global X Uranium ETF, ticker URA, that is up 16% in just the last week. Uranium, been the one energy source we haven't talked a lot about, but probably should have been. Let's get a check down the early action in Europe with the UK back trading. Nice little bit of a green on the screen there, even as they grapple with their growing energy crisis. Jumana Bersetti is in our London newsroom with the numbers and some key headlines. Jumana, good morning. 
Good morning, Brian. Let's start with Asian equities first. You can see behind me the handover is somewhat mixed. We had the Shanghai Composite in China down about four-tenths of a percentage point. There are some growth concerns lingering. We've heard of a few more cities that are being subjected to further COVID-19 restrictions. That is still going on in China. So it's having an impact at the index level. Hang Seng down about four-tenths of a percentage point as well. Some concerns there geopolitically over uh, some tensions between the U.S. and China. Tech com companies over audit papers that still has not been resolved. So that is one of the reasons the tech sector is struggling a little bit in that index. But the Nikkei in Japan up 1.1%, some weakness in the yen helping there. As for European markets, the picture today, you mentioned UK is back from the bank holiday. The index is up four-tenths of a percentage point. We did have CBI sentiment survey come in today, the lowest level since May 2020. So consumers and businesses are really beginning to get a little bit worried about the outlook over here in the UK. I should mention right at the top, we've got banks reacting very well to that move in gilts. Fixed income moved a lot higher yesterday. Right at the bottom, we have miners, which are clearly very, very sensitive to these global recessionary fears. Cacahuante in France up about one percentage point. And then finally, Germany, good performance today, up 1.4 percentage points. We had some positive news on the gas storage front. Yesterday, the German economy minister announcing that they are up to about 83% gas storage levels. Remember, Brian, I know that you've been following this very, very closely. Their target is 90% by November the 1st. So they are on track or looking like they're on track to actually get to that 90% target. Some marginal positive news there. And we are seeing some of the industrial names like Bayer, for example, uh, do quite constructively on the back of those positive gas comments. One last thing I just want to say, CPI numbers out of Germany at 1 p.m. today will be a major mover for European markets, too. Yeah, and they've gotten pretty lucky with the weather, too, as well. I've been looking at the weather in Germany, Jumana, every day, and pretty much it's been, you know, sort of low to mid-70s. I'm speaking, of course, Fahrenheit, where it's not that hot, yeah. it's not that cool. They've had some rain lately. Let's hope the weather continues to cooperate. Jumana Brissetti, thank you. All right, why don't we get some of this morning's top corporate stories stateside, including more news on Tesla and a new fight over T-shirts and unionization. Savannah Hanau is here with that and more. Savannah, what's going on? Hey, Brian. Good morning. We'll start with YouTube because longtime YouTube executive Robert Kinsel says he's leaving the online streaming giant after more than 12 years with the company. Google says Global Customer Solutions President Mary Ellen Coe will take over the role of chief business officer at YouTube starting in early October. Kinsel will temporarily stay at YouTube to help with the transition. The National Labor Relations Board says Tesla violated workers' rights when it told employees they couldn't wear T-shirts with pro-union insignia while on its factory floors. The NLRB is now mandating that Tesla, quote, cease and desist from maintaining and enforcing the overly broad team wear policy that prohibits production associates from wearing black union shirts. Tesla had previously argued before the Labor Relations Board that its dress code was meant to prevent workers' clothing from causing mutilations to the cars or car seats they were building and to help managers easily determine that employees are in their assigned work areas. And shares of Bed Bath & Beyond are coming off a monstrous day, surging more than 24 percent yesterday, up again in the pre-market. This as investors express their optimism days ahead of the company's strategic update release slated for tomorrow, Brian. Uh, every day. You could just have a channel devoted to news related to Tesla, yes. Twitter, <laughs> or Elon. Anything Elon Musk touches, and you could have a full day of news every Abs day, right? Every single day, Brian. Yep, absolutely. Every day. Every day. 
Silvana Hanau, we'll see you in a few minutes. Sounds Thank good. you very Bye. much. All right, let's get back down to the markets and your macro money. The S&P 500 coming into this morning is down more than 15% this year, which, of course, is bad. But it's actually well off the June lows when we were down 23% at one point, a full-on bear market. And your first guest today believes a 20% decline is likely the bottom for the broader markets here. But adds that you may want to look outside the U.S. for opportunities, but maybe not that far away. Kate Faddis, the founder and CEO of Grace Capital joins us now. We'll get two stock picks from you in a second, Grace. And good morning. Thanks for getting up early and joining us. Love having you on. Let's talk about this macro market. I mean, last night, Neil Kashkari said the quiet part out loud. He's a member of the Fed. He basically said he implied they were kind of glad to see the stock market come down off of Jay Powell's really hawkish comments. What do you make about that? Well, they are being very clear. (laughs) They are going to accept the consequences. They want to know, everyone to know, crushing inflation is the goal. So unemployment, recession, stock market crash, (laughs) they want to crush unemployment. So I think the signaling is clear, and I think it's important. I'm going to believe, and I'm going to act accordingly. Now, the problem with additional rate hikes is that it's going to put pressure on other currencies. So the dollar is going to continue to strengthen. So I would avoid making, you know, some of these loss-making growth stocks are to be avoided. I still think, look outside the U.S., there could be some interesting names, companies that import into the U.S. You know, um, I I hate to date myself. I'm getting old, Kate. It's the 26th year that I've been in business news, and I'm not sure I've been in an environment where the head of the Federal Reserve is effectively saying, I'm willing to kind of take down this economy because they've got this more macro inflation fight. I have no idea how to read it from a macro stock perspective because it does seem new, or at least you got to go back to maybe 1980 or so. Is there any clear way to gauge the equity market right now? Look, I think the equity market has withstood a lot. Now, remember, last year we were up 30%. If we go down even 20%, 25%, that's still pretty good. I mean, we've come off a 10-year monster cycle. So I am not that concerned. The stocks had gotten overstretched. Now, in this type of environment, what you don't want to hold really is cash. I would hold something like uh, 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 floating rate bonds. I would still hold equities, real estate. You don't want to be over levered. So there is a way to play this market. And again, I like some of the companies that sell products into the U.S. because they're going to show higher earnings as the dollar strengthens. Something like Absolute Software, tiny company, uh, market cap $600 million, based in Canada, started out 30 years ago, Brian, making a solution for kids who are getting their uh, laptops stolen. The software is embedded into the BIOS. Don't ask me what a BIOS is. I don't know. But you can't uninstall it. They got a new lease on life with COVID because now you're home. You you no longer have Jeff down on the eighth floor who can come and fix your computer. So they have, it can't be uninstalled, absolute visibility. They can manage, track, and recover your devices. Think about Find My iPhone, absolute control, absolute resilience. They can control your laptop remotely, absolute ransomware response. They can recover all your data. The CEO is a woman. I love that. They make a lot of free cash flow, 15 times price to free cash flow. This one could double, Mm. Brian, once we get out of tech purgatory. 
Wow, big call there on ABST Absolute, a name we're going to watch in the markets today and going forward. I, I think you're in love with Canada, Kate, because your next pick is also in Canada. Very, very different, though. It's not, so- I mean, it couldn't be any different, more different than software. It's an iron ore trust. What? It's, a, uh, it's an iron ore trust. They own land. They lease it to the operator, Rio Tinto. They collect their rents. They pay a dividend. 15% dividend yield, 15.6. The dividend is variable, 1.8 billion market cap. The current dividend is $3.6. It's ranged from a low of a dollar to a high of eight in the last 15 years. So I actually think this 15% yield is real. Okay, Rio Tinto is the operator. Now, iron ore, ESG, nasty, nasty, bad carbon footprint. But we need steel. If you drove your car into work this morning, you use steel. China is the world's biggest importer of steel. Being in Canada, Canadians take the regulations very seriously. So I actually think these are some of the best Rio Tinto assets. Again, 15% dividend. You can go to sleep. You can collect your money. You can drink your coffee. Yeah, and the fact that it is clearly not ESG doesn't sound like it bothers you, Kate. In fact, I'm not going to get into a debate about ESG. There's plenty of people doing that online on their own time. But there are some funds now that are starting that are almost trying to be like inverse ESG funds, not because they're mean or hate the environment, because to what you said, Kate, which is people realize, oh, my gosh, we want to fly, drive, have a home, go to work, have roads. We're going to need some of this stuff that we don't want to think about, but it's there and it's not going away. It's there. It's not going away. Now, here's a good thing. Rio Tinto plans to reduce carbon emissions by 50 percent. You know, they want to use technologies like hydrogen, uh, plasma torches. So they're trying. So I, I think, you know, it's not one or the other, but force the companies to do things as best as possible. Kate Faddis, Grace Capital, watching Labrador Iron Ore, watching Absolute Software. We're watching Canada. Oh, Canada. Kate, thanks for getting up early. We appreciate it. Have a great day. All right. We are just getting started on this busy Tuesday. And when we come back, a double-edged sword in Europe's energy crisis. Bars and restaurants, many of which survived two years of pandemic lockdowns or near lockdowns, may now even face a darker future when it comes to their power costs. Plus, why Team Musk wants to hear directly from Twitter whistleblowers and its fight to terminate its $44 billion deal. And later on, it is your morning RBI and some random but interesting market stats. CNBC style puts the market recent drawdown in perspective and will show you some little talked about winning stocks. lot to do. Stock futures up. And we're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. 
But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, we want to give you a quick market check on this Tuesday morning here because obviously coming off a couple of days of tough losses, a thousand point decline for the Dow on Friday, one of only 13,000 point drops that we've ever seen, according to Ryan Dietrich. He fell again yesterday, but this morning is looking a little bit better with the Dow futures up 190 points. NASDAQ doing a bit better. NASDAQ futures up about 1.4%. So I don't want to call it a Tuesday turnaround. Who knows? Markets are thin. Everybody but us, you and me and my team here, is uh, basically on vacation. Still, markets are in the green, and we'll take that. All right, we certainly talk a lot about the UK and Europe's growing energy crisis on this show. Now, a lot of it may just seem like kind of obscure numbers on a screen. What does this per megawatt hour mean? But it's not. It's a human story. Because as we talked about yesterday in RBI, many pubs across Britain face the harsh reality of actually being forced to close down due to surging electricity costs. Gas and other energy costs are at exponential highs, with one gas quote we showed you from a pub showing a 500% jump just from May. And there's another growing problem, a possible growing shortage of CO2, with one major CO2 producer announcing that it will temporarily cease production until market conditions improve. Of course, that's needed for tap beer and other beverages. Now, a letter out this morning from six different brewing leaders Warning of business closures all across the UK, calling for a support package for the government to prevent, quote, real and serious irreversible damage. Joining us now is Andy Tyus, Director of Strategy and Policy at the British Beer and Pub Association. They represent senators that uh, some of the signatories, rather, of the letter that some 20,000 or more pubs across the UK signed. Everyone from family brewers to corporate multinationals. And Andy, we're, we're get, glad to get you on this program. I know we're sitting here in the United States, but this show goes globally. We've got a big audience in the UK as well. We were there last November for a week talking about some of these problems. Here we are nearly a year later. They haven't gotten better. They've only gotten worse. And now we're seeing pubs post their energy bills online saying 6000 a month for gas. We can't stay open. How severe is the problem right now? It, it really is critical now, uh, and this is why the, uh, the board members of the British Beer and Pub Association have written to the government calling for urgent action. Um, as you said in your piece earlier, you know, the energy energy bills that pubs are facing uh, are now just, they can't be sustained. So, for example, just one that came in earlier today has gone from £2,000 per month to £7,000 per month. So £5,000 a month increase, £60,000 a year. You know, that's more than most small pubs make in a year, wiping out all their profits. Now, this is very, very serious now. I want you to repeat that because I think that, you know, here at CNBC in the U.S. and the U.K., we have lots of small business owner viewers. They're not stock market junkies. They're not billionaire hedge fund managers. They're just business owners trying to keep the lights on, feed their family and pay their mortgage. Some people's energy bills may now be more than they were making in the entire year. Absolutely. That is the case. You have 46,000 pubs in the UK. Uh, they've been supporting their communities at the heart of those communities, you know, for hundreds of years. Um, and those pubs, yeah, are now facing energy bill increases that are totally wiping out their total annual income. You know, this is very, very serious situation now. 
And now we talk about this CO2 shortage. Oh, and by the way, I'm not trying to pile on, Andy. It's also aluminum is one of the most electricity intensive metals you can produce. Takes huge quantities of electricity to make aluminum. Last time I checked, a lot of cans are made from aluminum. So they're getting hit on the cans. They're getting hit on the CO2. And now they're getting hit on the power costs. Is there what can anybody, the government or anyone do? Because I'm not sure how many Brits, as much as they love their pubs, are going to spend 15 pounds on a pint of beer. No, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, some of those cost inputs are huge. And price increases can only be passed on to a certain extent. Consumers can only afford to pay so much for a pint of beer. And that's why it is important that the government, the new government, come in um, and they take action now. You know, the the sector needs support where it comes to, you know, business rates, whether it's um, reducing beer duty, um, but energy prices and energy support is obviously the key one right now. So there must be some sort of energy cap for small businesses and a, and a real targeted package of measures that allow those pubs to keep their lights on this winter, allow those brewers to keep supplying them with the beer that their consumers need and want uh, and remain at the heart of their communities. So what you're saying is you're not necessarily looking for sort of rebates from the government. You'd rather if the government did something, you'd rather have them say, Sorry, British gas, you're not going to be able to charge more than X to anybody because uh, the, the bill we showed online, Andy, was from some pub and I, we verified it. They, it was like 15 pence per unit. And now British gas was offering, and I'm using air quotes, 97 pence per unit, a 550 percent jump. That is insane. That is insane. And we, we have seen... Um, quotes, you know, go above a pound per unit now, you know, from what was 15 pence. Um, so, yeah, that's clearly not sustainable. And that, that targeted package of support must happen now. Uh, and that's probably going to have to inform, be some sort of cap for small businesses because you know, those sorts of increases uh, are just not sustainable. Um, and then that needs to be supplemented by some sort of grant support. We saw it during COVID. We saw it during the pandemic. All those pubs managed to survive through yeah. two years through a combination of things, taking on debt, government support grants. Um, so we now really need to similar see similar things again now. Yeah, the nation shut down most of its natural gas production and storage, now relying on buying on the spot market, which we know has gone insane as well. Andy, we hope to be back in the UK doing the show there in November. Maybe we'll meet up. Hope these pubs are still open because they are such a critical part of what makes the UK special. And we're thinking about you guys. Uh, we love the pub. Stay open, please. Oh, Anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Do our best. All right. Can you, can you imagine that, folks? You run a small business. Your income is $100,000 a year. And now your energy costs maybe $100,000 a year, up from five. That's what's happening. All right. Still on deck. Is oil about to pop back above 100 bucks a barrel? Goldman Sachs' Jeff Curry says it could we're going to find out why next. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS. Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome, but welcome back. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other top news headlines outside of the markets and your money, including some severe weather across parts of America. Philip Menes in New York with that and more. Good morning, Philip. What's going on? Hi, Brian. Good morning. Well, severe flooding has led to a drinking water crisis in Mississippi's capital. Overnight, Governor Tate Reeves declaring a state of emergency for Jackson. The city's largest water treatment plant, which already had problems, is now failing. A boil water advisory has been in effect since late July, but now officials warn the city can't produce enough water to fight fires or meet other critical needs. Meanwhile, more than 600,000 power outages are being reported after strong winds hammered the Midwest. The storm has been linked to at least two deaths, including a 14-year-old girl in Michigan who was struck by power lines. A Secret Service official who was the subject of explosive January 6th testimony is leaving his post. Tony Ornato led former President Trump's protective detail and also served as a White House political advisor. He's now announcing that he is retiring after 25 years of service to work in the private sector. Former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson testified that Ornato described former President Trump lunging at his driver on January 6th, insisting that he be taken to the Capitol where the riot was unfolding. Hutchinson's account has been disputed by some people familiar with the matter. Ornato testified behind closed doors, according to an aide. He told NBC News that he'd been planning his retirement for more than a year. All eyes were on what's expected to be Serena Williams' final U.S. Open tournament. Former President Bill Clinton, Lindsey Vaughn, Mike Tyson, and Anna Wintour were among the stars out last night to see Serena take on Danka Kovanich. And after taking the first set, she found herself down in the second. But Serena, she would turn on the Jets and rally. After a bit of a back and forth, Williams took game, set, and match 6-3, 6-3. So Brian Serena now moves on to the second round, and her next match is scheduled for tomorrow. Oh, and I have a feeling that might get some viewership. Go, Serena, go. I mean, I know it's she's against all odds. Can you imagine yeah. she gets just semifinals or even finals? That would just be amazing and awesome. And we're rooting for Philip Mena. Thank you very much. You got it. All right, straight ahead. You, you, you might be riding one right now, so keep spinning. But there are some new hurdles for Peloton as it tries to turn everything around. We'll tell you about them. And if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast. You might be on the road, driving, traveling. We get it. Can't watch the show. It's just too doggone early. Check out the podcast as well. We're back with more Worldwide Exchange right after this. Going out strong or trying to. Stock futures higher as investors try to chip away at the month's losses. Oil back to 125 a barrel. Goldman Sachs' Jeff Curry is here with where he sees prices going and the other commodity he says may offer you a big opportunity right now. And Elon Musk ramping up his legal fight with Twitter, turning to the company's whistleblower to bolster his case to back out of his $44 billion takeover. It is all happening on this Tuesday, August 30th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. It is right around 5.30 a.m. on the East Coast. Here's how the markets and your money look right now. We are seeing stock futures decidedly better than they were on Monday and really better than they were on Friday, where the Dow fell 1,000 points. Dow of 223, NASDAQ up about 1.4%. This is after another down day for the markets on Monday. It was a great June and July, 
It's been a rough August. We'll get more on that coming up in a bit. It's also hit oil. It has been on the rise. We reported last week that it's possible OPEC may cut production at or before its September 5th meeting. I reported on this after my conversation with the Saudi energy minister, Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman, a week ago. Oil is down this morning, though, off about a buck sixty on a report from Reuters that Iraq's oil exports right now are unaffected by the current political turmoil. That is incredibly important. Iraq is the fourth biggest oil producer in the world, about 4.1 million barrels a day. The AP reporting late yesterday that at least 15 people were killed in Baghdad as hundreds stormed the government palace after an influential cleric decided to leave politics. If Iraq, for some reason, goes offline even partially, that could send oil higher. Remember, these markets, these oil markets are very tight. Oil down a little bit, but still up nearly 10 bucks a barrel from just one week ago. Speaking of moves, we're watching the price of natural gas, both here at home and overseas. And for once, we have a little bit of good news. European natural gas prices, that ICE Dutch TTF natural gas, has actually come down a little bit in the last few days, down 4.5% today, fell yesterday. All this, as Germany said, it is running ahead of schedule in filling up its natural gas storage. You're now expected to be at 85% full next month, and that is ahead of an October target. So a little bit of good news there. The weather has cooperated, and they've been racing to buy U.S. LNG, in fact, buying it away from China. I don't want to know what they're paying, but at least they're getting the natural gas. Joining us now with more on this is Goldman Sachs' Global Head of Commodities Research, Jeff Curry. Jeff, so much to talk about. Probably do the whole hour with you. Uh, I want to be clear on something, as I understand it, and if I am wrong, please tell me. The gas storage situation is good, over 80%. But storage also implies a continued flow of gas in years past. They've never relied, I don't think, on just storage. It's been storage plus a robust continued supply of other gas. There's no robust other continued supply of gas except for U.S. LNG and maybe some from Norway and Algeria. Russia is almost completely offline. So this is good news, but, but this doesn't mean the problem is over, does it? I, absolutely not. I think as you, you pointed out, inventories provide some of the relief but not all of the relief, because you still need to have other supplies. And we think you'll get other supplies from the oil market. That's part of the reason we're as bullish as we are on oil, is that you're going to substitute away from European gas into things like diesel fuel, jet fuel, and combined cycle units, and things of that nature that will increase the demand for oil and create the potential for oil to catch up to the rest of these other um, energy markets. And so, you know, I think the answer to your question, yeah, it's helpful, but in no way does it mean the the situation is a, a you know, all coast clear. The other point, too, is you can concoct a story where Europe can get through this winter, but you need to also have cooperative weather, which is a big assumption. So, yeah, it's a step in the right direction, but no way does it solve the problem. Yeah, because they're still paying about 87 U.S. dollars equivalent for natural gas and China's economy is slowed down. And, you know, the, the way the LNG market works is that once China, Sinopec or whatever, buys a load of LNG from Chenier or Tellurian in the United States or Venture Global, the, the, Europe can come in and say, hey, guess what, Sinopec? What did you pay for that? We'll pay you three times as much. Let's reroute the ship 
and bring it into Southampton, England, or Rotterdam, or, or Hamburg, Germany, right? So if China were to come back fully online, they're not going to sell Europe, that LNG most likely. And let's add in one more twist to it. Uh, China has its own energy problems right now. Big droughts, hydro production is down. Um, they've had to shut down industrial activities um, to deal with its own energy problems. Because you go back a year ago, um, let's remember that this energy crisis started in China with a lack of coal, um, lack of hydro, and then it moved to Europe. Then you had the war on top of that. Um, and now we're back to having energy problems in China as well. So the U.S. is the only region in the world that's relatively well positioned in terms of um, having adequate energy supplies. And, and to your point about oil, they're desperately trying to switch off gas power and then use oil to make electricity, which is like something out of 1957. I mean, it's hard to believe, but it's true. And that's why you've still got your, what is it, $130 target from Brent? On Brent put US on yeah, 120 I mean, so this, this little SPR sort of driven turndown in, in oil prices sounds like it's unlikely to last. Oh, we, we view it as a buying opportunity. You know, let's don't even talk about the supply uncertainty in, in places like Iraq right now. Um, as you pointed out, the, the risks are very asymmetric given how large Iraq is. But I think the bottom line is inventories are incredibly low across oil and all of the products. So you don't have any cushion there. You're going to lose those SPR barrels uh, come October. The amount of investment in this space remains incredibly low. Just look at U.S. rig counts. Look at U.S. production. You know, outside of UAE and Saudi Arabia, there is no spare capacity in the system. Um, and we start to see demand wow. rise seasonally as we go into the fourth quarter. So we think the upside, you know, our target's 130 on Brent, 125 on WTI. Well, the risks are substantially to, you know, the upside. One last point to keep in mind, historically, every time the macro markets, like the yield curve, tries to price in a recession like it did before Jackson Hole last week, um, and you don't get the recession in the U.S. like what's has probably happened. Oil rallies 80 to 100 percent after that. You know, let's let's look at what happened. The right hikes in 2006 led to an inverted rate curve in late six, early 07. Oil traded down to 45 and, you know, history rewrote itself. We know it goes to 147 by July of 08. Because remember, it takes a while before that recession really begins to kick in. And that time, rate hikes in late 06, recession didn't occur until the middle of 08. Um, globally. And then the other time was in 94, 95. Big rate hikes, inverted yield curve, recession yeah. didn't happen immediately, and you rallied 80%. Because as we history shows, gasoline, jet fuel, shipping fuel demand, it is shockingly inelastic because people yeah. got to get to where they got to get to. Jeff, outside of energy, why are we buying gold? I'm not a gold bug. There are gold bugs out there. You've met some, many, I'm sure. Why are we buying gold right now? Well, when we look at, you know, gold is just, it's at the bottom end of the trading range at this point right now. Um, I think the key message here is gold has been pricing in um, the, given the Fed the benefit of the doubt that it's going to conquer this inflation problem. In fact, you look at gold relatively to break even inflation, they've been trading lockstep with one another. 
Um, so to take a really strong view on gold busting out of the, you know, this recent trading range, you know, getting in towards 1900 an ounce, you got to take the view that, hey, the Fed can't control this inflation. You know, that's the reason why we like to, you know, we're buying on the bottom end of, of that range, uh, but we like to sell, you know, optionality on both sides of it. Because until you become really comfortable that they're not going to get the inflation problem under control, um, you truly can't really expect gold to, you know, really bust out to the upside. You got to, you know, basically gold worked as a great inflation hedge um, during the 70s because you took the view that they lost control of it. Right now, um, the market's given the benefit of the doubt. You know, our base case, it doesn't have it coming out of this trading range, at least yeah. in the near term. So we're on the lower end of it. Oil. Okay, oil. watching gold and yeah. oil, 120 bucks possible. Yeah, you know, and, and let's hope that Iraq can hold things together. No disruption in exports right now, but my gosh, 4 million barrels a day. They matter. Jeff Curry at Goldman Sachs, you matter. Appreciate you coming on as always. Thank you, Jeff. Have a great day. All right. Always welcome. All right. Now let's get some of this morning's top corporate stories, including Elon Musk taking new action in his legal battle with Twitter. Silvana Hanau is here with that and more. Welcome back, Silvana. It's been a minute. It has, Brian, and I'm back. And we're going to talk about Musk because Musk's legal team formally telling the Twitter whistleblower they want to hear from him as they look to bolster Musk's case to back out of the $44 billion takeover. Lawyers for the social platform's former security chief, Peter Zatko, revealing their client received a subpoena over the weekend. Zatko's complaint to U.S. officials over Twitter's handling of fake accounts has been a key argument of Musk's efforts to abandon his deal and could play into his case for his upcoming trial with Twitter in October. Peloton announcing it is delaying the release of its annual report on its financial performance. The company saying in a filing it needs more time to sort out accounting tied to its restructuring efforts before releasing the 10K. Peloton says it has to figure out the financial impact of parts of its turnaround plan, including moving away from in-house deliveries and warehouses. And lawmakers in California signing off on a bill protecting fast food workers. The first of its kind legislation will create a 10-member panel featuring worker delegates, employer representatives, and state officials tasked with setting minimum standards for wages, hours, and working conditions. A late amendment also caps any minimum wage increase for fast food workers at chains with more than 100 restaurants at $22 an hour next year. Restaurant owners have objected to the legislation, arguing it would drive up consumer costs, Brian. Silvana, okay, I got to quickly add this to your previous hit. You'd mentioned, or I heard you you talk about that they're going to, Starbucks is going to bring back the Mm -hmm. pumpkin spice latte today. Some people like that as like a winter drink. So, okay, I just posted a poll on Twitter because there's still a month of summer mm-hmm. left. You might as well put up a Christmas tree. So here's our options. And I want you to go vote, Silvana. All right. Bringing back the pumpkin spice latte today with a month of summer left is A, too soon. B, too soon. C, I don't like pumpkins. All I urge everybody above. to go vote. All of the above. I, just put up a Christmas tree. <laughs> exactly. Happy Easter. I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Silvana now. Thank you. Happy New Year. I'll be the first Happy one New to wish Year, you. Happy 2023. Happy New Year. <laughs> Old Lang Syne. Oh, my. She... All right. It's too soon, too Starbucks. Soon. It is. Too soon. Coming too up. Soon. All right. Your morning RBI. I'm done with lattes. I'm putting a tough two days of trading into perspective. We'll break down some of the good, the bad, 
Maybe the downright ugly when it comes to the August slowdown. We are back with Dow Futures Up right after this. Time now for your morning RBI, the most random but interesting. That's what RBI stands for. Thing you may hear all day, CNBC style. And the most CNBC thing to do, he said, is talk about the markets. Because after a nice little run over much of the summer, it's been a really rough ride the last couple of days. Thank you, Jay Powell. Thank you, market structure. And the last few days have done a number on the macro markets. The S&P 500 is now back down 15.5% this year. That makes this year, at least right now, the worst year since 2008's financial crisis and what would be the ninth worst year ever for the index. And those numbers actually may mask how rough it's been because the S&P 500 energy sector is up 51% this year. And yeah, it's a small part of the overall index, but having those kinds of gains still helps blunt some of the macro impact. Utilities, by the way, are the only other sector higher. The old economy trouncing all the former tech faves because it's some of the most formerly loved stocks that are doing the most damage to the index. A poorly named communication services sector is down a stunning 30% this year. That's comprised of Netflix, Dish Networks, Facebook, and others, which are down 30, 40, or 50% or more this year. The NASDAQ 100, which was launched in 1985, is on pace for its fifth Worst year ever, just behind 2008 and the three-year destruction during the internet bubble of 2000, aught one, and aught two. But we like to remain optimistic here on WEX, especially given how early it is in America. So let's end with some of the winners in this tough year, because as our friend Jim Cramer likes to say, there is always a bull market somewhere. So who has been winning? Well, obviously energy. The best S&P 500 stocks this year, Occidental Petroleum. Up 159%. Warren Buffett owns like 20% of the company now. Hess Corp, John Hess & Co., up 71%. And Devon Energy, up 68% this year. But some random but other interesting winners this year. Consol Energy, they're up 229%. You know what they do? They mine coal. They're a coal company. Lanthius Holdings is up 177%. They're a Balerica, Massachusetts-based medical diagnostics company, and EQT. It's up 129%. It's run by a friend of the show, Toby Rice. And rather bizarrely, and I thought this was fascinating, H&R Block, the tax prep company, that stock has nearly doubled this year. Maybe all the new tax rules and confusion around PPP and the COVID CARES Act and whatever going to boost the tax prep business. Now, those are not names that get a lot of attention here on CNBC. Well, most of them don't. But it goes to show that maybe you got to, you know, take a look under the market hood to find some stocks that are a bit more random and profitable. We're going to try to keep bringing them to you. All right. As we head to break, an earnings alert. Baidu out with quarterly results a short time ago. The China-based search engine posting better than expected profit and revenue driven by recovery and ad sales and stronger demand for cloud-based offerings. Hey, when everybody is stuck at home because of continued COVID lockdowns, they're going to be on the Internet. We're back after this. All right, let's welcome back. Let's get set for your trading day ahead. Degas Wright is the founder and CEO of Decatur Capital. He is also a CNBC contributor. And I, I, I don't, I got to track this, Degas, but I think every time you're on, the futures are up. I don't know if this is like some sort of weird cosmic thing, but we like it. Stock futures, there are a bit higher, but it's been a rough couple of days, certainly. What are you telling your clients about the rest of the year? 
Yeah, so what we're talking about right now with our clients is that you want to look for companies that have a way of doing well in this inflationary environment because ultimately in inflation impacts cost of inventory, impacts the ability for the consumer to buy goods and services. So what type of things can you do as a investor to identify those companies that do well? One thing that you can look for is the leadership team has to manage their cash efficiently. One way of measuring that is called the cash conversion cycle, which actually measures how long it takes uh, inventory to become cash. The, the shorter the time period, the better. Usually cash conversion cycle can result in increasing gross profit margins. And we're looking at a company like an auto nation. The average price of a new car is now nearly 50,000 bucks. An EV is like 65,000 bucks. I would imagine you're going to see people driving their cars for 15 and 20 years at this point. Yeah, so what happens, though, is that with this company, it has uh, about 350 uh, dealerships across the country. It is focused on expansion. But what it does for the cash conversion cycle, it's actually uh, improved it from 83 days down to 39 days, which is about a, uh, a significant increase, improvement by 53%. It's actually increases uh, gross profit margin from 16 to 19. The great thing about that is that it sells at a four times multiple and it has returned year to date 9%. You know, we talk a lot, obviously, about energy on this on this program, Diggis, because it's a, it's not the economy. It, 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 it is everything. I mean, you don't have power. You don't have an economy. We talk about adding solar, wind, whatever. You better have the grid and I, and I think you think a company like a Quanta Services, PWR is the ticker, which they help upgrade utilities and put in power lines, stuff like that. That's going to be a long-term winner. They're probably getting some benefit from the Inflation Reduction Act as well, I would imagine. Yeah, uh, Brian, this is benefiting from offices for infrastructure, but also the mega trend in energy transition. It has strong growth. It has a $20 billion backlog, which is about two years of revenue. So what we're seeing in this company is improving its cash conversion cycle also from 28 days to, down to 19 days. And so this has been very significant because the gross profit margin has increased from 13 to 15. It sells at a multiple of about 25 times and it's returned year to date 26% in this market. Dig, it's a pleasure to have you on. Futures, they are higher. We're watching PWR and AN, AutoNation and Quanta Services. Appreciate your time as always, my friend. Have a great day. We'll see you soon. Thank you very much. All right, folks, goes by quick, doesn't it? That does it for us here at Worldwide Exchange. We'll see you back here in 23 hours. Squawk Box is next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.